To be clear, there was no product. Yeah, yeah, but like, it was, you're still saying, you know, this is an apple, but instead of saying, this is an apple, you're saying, this is a fruit, or this is a... Exactly, I was like, you know, yeah, exactly. You, you know, you have an apple in front of you. This is a beautiful apple. This is a shiny apple, you know, this is a red apple. Red apples are much better than green apples. You're listening to The First 1000, a podcast that explores the journey from coming up with a product to building the thing, pre-launching it, launching it, and getting your first 1000 true fans. If you don't know why I'm doing this or why you should be listening, go back to the introducing episode in season one. My name is Matt Quinn. I'll be here with you on this journey. Let's jump in. So I have with me today, Rachel Carroll from Coro Kids which was a fantastic introduction referral from George Bevis from Tide, which was one of our early episodes on banking. If you haven't listened to it, make sure you do. Uh, and I actually, it's really interesting as a business, this is so acutely timed as we just released uh, the interview with Ricky from Borrow My Doggy this week. And in my mind, they seem like very interestingly similar businesses, which probably makes no sense, but it will as I, as I continue. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me. No problem, excited. So I normally start these by giving a little pitch on my interpretation of your business and then seeing how completely far off that I am. Okay. Uh, so Koru Kids is a on quasi-on-demand nanny service, but the real kicker is that it's for short-term stints of childcare namely after school or in the morning or really the small pieces rather than hiring a full-time nanny? Uh, bits of that were right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you only got one thing wrong. The, 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 the thing you got wrong with, we're not on demand. So we're not, occasionally we're um, referred to as Uber for nannies. It's sort of like press a button and a nanny appears yeah. and we're definitely not that. So we're, like, we're long-term recurrent. Um, I, I think... There is a problem of, uh, you know, last minute emergency, like I wasn't expecting to need a, n- a nanny or a sitter tomorrow, but now I do. Um, but that that is a much smaller problem than the much more major problem of like, how do I sort out my the core childcare for my kid on a recurrent basis? And so that's what we do. But you are right. Um, we focus on um, after school at the moment. And that's our particular niche. And the reason I wanted to start there was... Um, it is just a massively neglected area of childcare. So there's tons of nurseries and childminers and all sorts of things for babies and toddlers. But when it comes to the, the hours of 3.30 to roughly 6.30, your kid isn't at school anymore and you are at work, what are you meant to do? And there's this unbelievable stat, which is that one in three schools in London does not have an after-school club. Like that's not even including the ones where the after-school club is full or your kid doesn't like it or, you know, it finishes at five, which is nearly useless. One in three schools doesn't even have an after-school club. Like that's how neglected that area is. And uh, so we were pretty much the biggest thing in after-school like the week we launched. Huh. <laughs> so it's almost like a like nanny light. If I, if I yeah, it's... That, right? um, there's a structural reason that it's hard to cover that period of time and it's because it's not a full-time job so people who want to look after kids full-time can't take the after-school job because if they take it that means they're not earning enough to live on and so structurally there is a there's a lack of supply for after-school care 
And and yet, because one in three schools and blah, 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 um, there's this huge, huge, huge demand. So the, the problem, one, one of the many problems we're trying to solve is that there's just this total structural imbalance um, between demand and supply. And so what we do is, one of the things we do is um, we identify groups of people who could become amazing nannies, but who don't today think of themselves as nannies. We had to create our own supply, basically. And the two pools of people that we decided to focus on first were university students, so people who don't need a full-time job, but are brilliant at taking care of like seven-year-olds, and um, and older people, which is kind of like a local grandma figure who might have had her own kids, they've now grown up, and she knows the local area really well, and she also only wants a part-time job. That's so cool. So I could, where do I jump in first? <laughs> hmm. There's so many things that have my mind. It's interesting you talk about generating your own supply because I know, I mean, definitely if you think about um, bringing Uber to market, there was no way that there were that many drivers free in the marketplace when they when they scaled Uber. And I read an article quite recently about uh, from Brianne Kamel, who is a VC in the area, and she was saying in a ideal marketplace where you actually have unlimited demand and owning supply is basically how you win. Um, so I'm going to come. I'm going to come back to that. If we if we go back to the early days, so you're. I mean, even pre Coro Kids, your career history looks something like. And I, I I have only briefly read through your LinkedIn, but you have a PhD, mm-hmm. right? So you're a doctor, actually, yep. uh, Doctor Rachel. Uh, you spent a number of years in a management consulting uh, role with McKinsey. You then ran a medical technology company yep. CEO for a couple of years. and then another one I think briefly yep and then somewhere in there I think the story goes you had children and thus you then encountered this basically yes. issue so were you did you when you had your kids did you stay you tried to stay at work is that how you identified this issue yeah how did you I, find I, the how did you find the problem that's what I'm trying to say so I was running um uh, a health tech startup um, called Dr. Tom and uh, that's when I had my first baby and I um, I actually was got pretty lucky with my own childcare and if it felt somewhat difficult at the time but knowing now what I what I know now I now see that I had an extremely lucky easy journey relatively speaking um, so it wasn't so much that I so I found a local childminder who was amazing and my kid um uh, was looked after her for three years and uh, it was so it wasn't so much that I had my own personal disaster it was more um, a, a real drip 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 of stories from all of my friends and what happened was I um, you know I went to university I'm originally from New Zealand I did my undergrad there but I went did my postgrad over in over here in England and I went through university with lots of couples who, you know, I knew them, I knew them separately and then they got together and then I went to their weddings and then, you know, they had kids and I, I knew these people and I knew that in many cases, the woman in the couple was better at university, you know, got off to a like stronger start or as strong in her career. And then one by one, I started just seeing all of these women taking a step back, kind of dropping out and like that they, they ended up on these different tracks and childcare was a huge thing, um, was a huge part of that story. And I started um, noticing it with people who were five years older than me and 10 years older than me. 
And I just started seeing all these patterns and um, realizing that there was so much chat about women on boards and, um, you know, McKinsey did a, a very big, often quoted report about it. And I used to go to, go to all of these presentations and stuff on it. And I was always thinking, this is not the core, um, this is not the root cause of this stuff. Like we need to sort out what's going on in the home and we need to sort out what's going on with childcare. And I started hearing, so, so I saw the effects, but I also, I also heard the stories of friends of mine who um, had to move out of London or had to be clo- move to be closer to their families or decided not to have another kid at all when they wanted one um, or, or just felt bankrupted by the whole thing. There was just so, so many problems. And um, meanwhile, my whole career to that date um, had been in healthcare. So I was used to this field where there's a lot of innovation and I used to go to conf- you know, innovation conferences and stuff and there are lots of VCs who specialize in healthcare innovation. And um, I, when I first started becoming aware of these problems in childcare, my first instinct was, okay, well, who's solving these? Which VCs are funding it? which teams are working on it and I'll just find the coolest teams that are solving this problem and then I'll go and join them because I really feel passionately about this. And I was completely gobsmacked um, to learn that there was nothing. Like no one was working on it. No one was funding it. Uh, no one knew anything about it. And so I thought, well, I'm going to have to do it myself. So that's why I founded Cory Kids. So the, when, when George uh, said, oh, you know, I, so I actually asked George, what's the most interesting business you would like to learn about? I'd love to have one for us. And when he um, put forward to Cory Kids, my first impression was, <laughs> my first impression was that the market would be insanely saturated because I, I feel like I've seen so many businesses of uh, you know, nanny agencies and babysitting agencies and trying to make marketplaces out of that, um, that it it's so surprising to me to find to have you say that there's nothing, like the, 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 no one was solving this. So issue. maybe I need to be a bit more precise. There, there is a graveyard full of. Well, that, that's what actually that's what I meant. Sorry, there's so many that have tried. They've tried and it hasn't worked. So there is a graveyard of full of like dead end zombies, um, of like websites where you kind of anyone can list and anyone can you know like craigslist kind of derivative type stuff and the founder of gumtree is actually one of my one was one of my earliest investors uh so he he knew from his gumtree um experience that childcare was something that people look for a lot it accounted for a lot of traffic to gumtree and he his view was that gumtree clearly hadn't solved that problem and that we were kind of the next generation who were going to try and solve it in a different way there are a lot there are lots of these websites and I think one of the big problems with them is that they um, don't focus nearly enough on quality. They don't curate and they also don't provide um, the full stack solution. So we, um, right from the start, um, didn't just provide one little chunk of the solution. We were end to end. And what I mean is we recruited the nannies. We trained them in-house ourselves. I spent a whole summer <laughs> every weekend um, like training people myself um, uh, in, in like how to look after after school kids um, long before I had one myself I'd be much better at it now actually now that I actually have one and I, and and then we you know we do the um, the payments we do the contract um, we sort out pension we give lots of advice on on stuff we do ongoing training 
So we do a whole load of that stuff. And I think part of the, um, the reason I thought that was very, very, very important was because what I hear firsthand from my friends, and I think this, this is actually related to being a woman founder, from my female friends is the, the completely overwhelming mental load, which is exhausting. You know, the, what, what it looks like is a woman lying in her bed at night while her husband might be sleeping, like WhatsApping her friends at 11 o'clock saying, does anyone know a good nanny tax service? You know, so what was difficult for us as a business is we had to build about six different businesses at once Mm -hmm. because each of these things is a business. Like recruitment is a business, agency, training is a business, payroll is a business. Like these are all standalone businesses. And we had, I I had to build them all at once, you know, and do them all myself when it was just me. Um, But I felt that that was really, and it was quite hard and, and, um, at the time, but I felt that was really important because one of the core product principles was reducing that mental load. Like the, the this woman who is working full time and tr- and also getting up during the night to look after her kid, you know, and who feels like she's failing at being a mum and also failing at work and feels like, what has my life been for? And, you know, my marriage is under stress and I'm not being the mum I thought I'd be. And I'm also like trying so hard at work. And yet the guy who was sitting next to me, who took over from, from me from during my mat leave, you know, his career's going north while he was junior than me, you know, like all of these thoughts. And then she's like, like up late doing stupid admin. Yeah. That's, that's one of the many <laughs> problems that I want to solve. So, um, I'm, so both my parents were both my parents worked, and I have two. I have one brother and one sister. When my little brother was growing up, we had a full time nanny when he needed loads of attention. And then, interestingly enough, it, when he went to school, we had this situation in the family where my mum sat down with the I think a, a, probably a pair you call them a pair sat down with the pair and said, "Right, my my son's going to school. You're going to be free for." seven hours a day, what are you going to do? do you know, when you research local university courses and all sorts of stuff. And the au pair came back and said, oh, you know, I'd probably just, you know, watch TV and clean the house. And my mum was like, <laughs> I mean, my, my parents are American, so you really have, I can, I wish I could take the image out of my mind and put it in your mind. My mum basically said, that's just not going to work. Um, and she actually hired a university student. Right. So she hired this male university student who was going to the local university to then come in, he would take my brother to school, he would pick him up from school uh, and look after him for those small hours in the morning and the evening, which really worked around his schedule. And it was such an interesting experience because it went from him and, a, and an au pair who only deals with kids to actually someone who has such a different diversity of life. I mean, he was a radio DJ and he was studying, I think, agricultural engineering. And my little brother was all of a sudden surrounded by this completely different contextual information. So it's really interesting to hear how the structure of Koryu Kids comes about. And actually, it's like the technology and scaled experience that I think my little brother had almost. Um, were you, so you, you started Koryu Kids before you had kids, is that my? No, I started, no, I ha- I've got two kids okay. and one of them's five. So I started, um, it, I had her, uh, I went back to my job. I then briefly did a different job and then I started Koryu Kids. So I think I founded it when she was about, unless I'm getting this maths wrong, like a year and a half, something like that. So how long, when you talk about all of these friends you've seen and, and you know the stories of them struggling with this, with this after-school issue, let's say specifically, 
how long, what time period were you formulating this idea that this is a big issue that you need to research into? I think a couple of years. A couple of years. Yeah, I think it took me that long to figure out. Because I just thought there would be a system. And I speak to a lot of people now. I speak to a lot of, a lot of our nannies, actually. A lot of the university students, um, I, I speak to them in groups sometimes when we, do the, when we do the training. And I explain why I founded Crow Kids. And when I talk to them about what childcare, what it is like to deal with the childcare system, um, I can see their faces and I, I can see how shocking it is when you tell them stories about what it's actually like. And I remember, you know, right up until I had a kid, I, um, I did not understand the lack of system. Like I thought there would be a system. I know I said childcare system before, there isn't a system. Yeah. It's like the childcare mess, you know, the childcare chaos. And... Um, I just, you know, you, you think that you think that someone somewhere has planned it out. You go, you think that if you go to university and you work hard and you do well, and then you do your career and you work hard and you do well, and then you have a baby, like there will be a system. And then, then it happens to you and you realize it's just broken. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So then you've, you formulated this insight over a number of years, which I think is actually really cool to, to be honest about that. I mean, a lot of people try and accelerate that and that's actually probably the most important piece there, making sure it's a real problem. But um, how, do you, how do you start and how do you possibly get people to trust you with their children? <laughs> um, well, one thing that might be interesting actually is that I, this was not the only thing that I was kind of noodling on. Like I did have other ideas and I had this really momentous conversation at one point where I went to um, my friend Alice Bentick who you might know she's also the founder of um, one of the founders of EF and I went to her to um, to her and I had this I was working in healthcare at the time I had this healthcare idea and I had this um, kids idea and I actually think this healthcare idea I had was was a really really good business idea but she said to me I said I can't choose I can't choose between these two things and she said to me you need to emotionally commit you, the, the next 10 years of your life to this, that like you need to be prepared that this is your life for the next 10 years. And so just imagine yourself, either you're going to be thinking about babies and moms and dads and families, and you're going to be hanging out with those people for the, for the next 10 years, and that's going to consume all your waking hours, or your other idea it's a, you're going to be with lab diagnostic technicians and you're going to be going to like laboratory science conferences. Just how do you want to live your life? Which one of those lives do you want? And as soon as she said that, it was so obvious to me that the, the one that I actually cared about was the mums and, um, and babies and, and families one. And so for me, you know, doing a startup just it just rips the life out of you. I mean, it's so hard, you know? And I, I know that our, the Corrigan story on paper looks like it's been quite smooth and kind of always up and to the left, but it's so freaking hard every single day, you know? And so if you don't have, like, you've got to have the fire from somewhere. I, I, I cannot imagine how founders who are doing something that they don't fervently believe in, like manage to get their, like where does that motivation come from? I can't, yeah. I can't imagine what it is. So then, so, okay, you, so you've made this, you've made this decision, you're gonna, you're gonna start Crow Kids childcare service. 
Oh yeah, how? I didn't. Yeah, know, like, I didn't. Sorry, I well, didn't answer so that now, question I at mean, all. As it exists now, I'm assuming. Well, I've actually signed up earlier, so oh, cool. there's a website, mobile website. Do you yeah. Have, do you have an app? It's not released. Okay, so well, we will have now. Um, do, I mean, did you build any product to start with? Did you just pull together local mums? Was it a Facebook group? How did you? How did you get? Uh, yeah. uh, I think they did everything you just said. I think um, I, so. I have I have been really reflecting recently over whether or not what we did was the right thing, and it's it's hard it's hard to tell the path not taken. Um, but what I did do was um, I did not have any tech people for a surprisingly long long time. So I set it up myself. I made um, I'm I'm not technical. I, I made a Squarespace website. I tested out the proposition. I did a very classic lean startup kind of thing of uh, seeing whether I, I actually set myself a goal. I said, I'm going to have some number, I think it was 30 or something, of signups in two weeks. I said, I'm going to really, really, really try on social media. So 30? Uh, I think it was 30. I can't remember. It might have been 20. And, um, and I, I said, I'll do that for two weeks. And then um, if I can't, I'll do every single thing I can think of for two weeks. And if I can't get whatever it was, 30 people to sign up, then I'm going to move on and like iterate the proposition. And uh, and I remember the whole first week I had like, no, nah, it didn't work at all. And I was um, basically talking about it on Facebook groups. And you you asked before, um, how, did I, how did I possibly get anyone to trust me? Um, I think I just, I used my, I used my personal brand. Not that I had a personal brand, no one knew who I was, but it was more like my personal kind of, Credentials, I guess, is a better word than brand. Like, I think in reality, being very honest, I think I was piggybacking off a bunch of like branded credentials I have. So, you know, I made it very obvious on the website. Like, I went to Oxford. I'm ex McKinsey. Like, blah blah blah. Yeah, and then yeah, I was kind of you're having a brand, like you, your LinkedIn is almost branded, definitely. But with those names, of like some credentials, brand, right? Sure. And um, and I think that that was because obviously I didn't have a real a real company brand and. Uh, but the people that I was talking to, you know, were people who um, who recognised that. You know, they they might be like lawyers or at Goldman Sachs or something, and they knew what McKinsey was, and kind of that that like meant enough. Um, and I think that that helped a lot. And I do sometimes see, actually, including in childcare, I um, I do sometimes see people who are starting things. And you click through and you try to find the about us, and and they don't have one on. The, and it, I think that's a really interesting decision because um, because trust is so important. And unless you're a convicted felon, like I think it's never going to be a negative like, to say who you are. And um, I think one of the things that that surprised me in the early days, actually, from our analytics, was seeing the number of people who clicked on the team and about us. Like people really cared about it. I remember doing some user testing, actually, and even though I was, I was showing people our, this would have been within our first few months, and I even though they knew I was the founder and I was standing right there, they still clicked on that. One of the first things they did was click on the about us and, like, like read about the team, read, yeah. read about me, you know. Um, so... That I guess that's in a, in some way kind of a hack. Um, but at the time, it was, this was 2016, and Facebook groups were just starting off, and people hadn't quite realised the power of Facebook groups, and the groups themselves were not in a mature state. Which I think I think now groups behave in a slightly different way than they like three years later. But at the time, it was a very easy way to get attention was um, to engage in Facebook parenting groups. 
And so that's really where we got our first customers from. And we got um, a huge number of signups. I think we got in the low thousands of signups. Is this um, in with, the second week or is this just going forward? Oh, God, no, not second week. So sorry. This is in the first few months. <laughs> no, we got, I mean, the story, the story of, this, of that two weeks is first week got nothing. Second week, it got to like Tuesday or Wednesday. And I thought, all right, this is clearly going nowhere. I'm going to have to change this. And then I discovered the, the channel and the wording, but I didn't know I'd discovered it. I went to lunch with my friend. I had put my personal mobile number on the website, which again was my attempt to like increase trust. And um, I, uh, yes, I put that on and I remember my phone rang and I was like, oh, I don't know, you know, oh, it's a parent, that's weird. And then, um, you know, kind of said something, put, put it on. and then it rang again and then it rang again. And the, in the end, I had to turn my phone off um, and kind of have, have lunch and then quickly go back and like return all those all these phone calls and um and i yeah i met my target just because i i i happened to land on the right like combination of proposition and so messaging even in that within that two-week period you were changing the way you were describing the yes proposition. yes so in th- it was the same product just the way that someone was interpreting the product you're telling them about to Some, be clear there was no product yeah, yeah but like the same it was, you're still saying you know this is an apple but instead of saying this is an apple, you're saying, this is a fruit, or this is a... Exactly. I was like, you know, yeah, exactly. You, you know, you have an apple in front of you. This is a beautiful apple. This is a shiny apple, you know. This is a red apple. Red apples are much better than green apples, you know. So actually, this is a beautiful size apple, a fresh apple. Even if your early start is not working, there's almost experiments around... I mean, pure experiments just around positioning that should probably be done. But all I had was positioning. There was, it, it, I, there was no product. I, I literally had a Squarespace website. Yeah. That was it. Uh, with some words on it and some pictures of my kids, uh, and 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 that and that was enough um, to kind of find the core of something, and then um, I got my first. About two months later, I got my first paying customers, and then I decided to raise money as soon as I had my first paying customers, um, and I decided to. Um, I probably could have raised actually earlier than that, um, but. It was more for me. I like. I think one of the really important things when you're raising money is is your own internal conviction about what you're saying because yeah. it comes across. And I needed. To, I I kind of had a suspicion that I was crazy. And then as soon as someone I didn't know put in actual real pounds, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I think I think this person's not crazy. So then your first. Um, if, your actual first 1,000 customers, I'm assuming, yeah, you guys must have well over 1,000 customers now. Where, did, where do you think they came from? I mean, there's this, where, where, when people were hitting your site and then they were ringing you, were they, was that stream coming from early Facebook groups? Uh, early on, yes. And we, we, we didn't spend anything on marketing for a really long time. And the context is that in childcare, demand is, um, demand is, not as difficult as supply. Supply is really the hard thing. And so the biggest problem we've always had as a company is um, we don't have enough quality supply. And that's the thing, that's the thing that we're really laser um, focused on. And um, yeah. And I, I'd imagine actually as a, almost as a technology product, that's the, that's the best part. You can like distribute training and learning and and hiring. But that's the bit that I'm really excited about for the future as well, that, um, you know, I've talked a lot about the sort of convenience factor for the parents, but equally important, we have a dual mission and part of it is about parents, the other part's about the child. And um, 
we think about um, well-being throughout the child's life. We think about what can we what can we do to help that child in the first ten years of life that then sets them up for really great flourishing existence for the rest of their life, including their adult mental health. And the the way that we think we can affect that is by help is by training our nannies to um, to be really nurturing and supportive, and um, you know encourage growth mindset and do all these all these great things. So we've right from the very start, I've built that into our, the training for our nannies. And one of the things I'm really excited about um, is building out more of that child development aspect of what we're doing, and like really really building out the ongoing training for our nannies as well. If you're taking students, would that mean that the maximum time someone would serve as a nanny is four years, three years? Yeah. So you're just continually training and losing yes. nannies, but the economics of that machine works out. Yes, yeah, exactly. Very cool. And then what locations is Cory Kids operating in today? Just, today, just London, just yeah. London. Uh, it's a big internal debate about when is the right time to break out of London uh, and where to... To an extent as well, and I think we get we get a lot of um, people asking us um, to go other places. I think my focus is really just on building out our product right now, and um, I want us to. I, I want to, I, I just want to spend as much time as possible right now thinking about product. You know, before we um, started recording this, you and I were talking about product market fit and. Um, kind of how you know when you've reached it and uh, it's such a tough question because I think it's not binary you know we've definitely do people want what we have made yes there's no question about that but is that the whole and complete definition of product market fit you know um, how can we make sure that we're delivering on our promise like every single time you know like when did Amazon reach product market fit like pretty like 20 years ago right and yet, it depends on it depends on what exactly you mean by it. And yeah, yeah. you know, there's many, many, many aspects of what they're doing which are still kind of embryonic. Um, so one of the things I'm really wrestling with right now, literally today, is um, how do, how how mature does that does what we're doing right now need to be before we before I like the mountain we're climbing right now how focused should we be on this mountain versus the, the new mountain, mountain, the next mountain? Well, there's almost two, there's almost two moves, right? There's, there's expansion of geographic area, but then there's actually just whole new parts of the product together. Exactly, have yeah. You, have you guys done the product market fit scoring? The, no. The, the Sean Ellis no but i will google it yeah i'll send you i'll send you can there is a there's an argument that you can build a mathematical model as to whether you have a market fit oh i want to do this um, and it, it's actually if you haven't got it you have a large enough data set it can be fascinating because you can segment your users into a point where you do have it and it basically gives you insight of like which users you should be focusing on. yeah I'll, that's cool i'll send that to you uh, i'll send it to you uh, another time so so we think there's almost unlimited demand for Cory Kids. I think there's a piece in there about pricing as well, though, right? Because there's, a, there's a, I think, a, it, I guess it's pretty inelastic, actually, uh, the demand for childcare. Because one of the complaints I've always heard is that it's so expensive, typically, because you have to hire a nanny that almost takes a whole salary. But um, how have you scaled supply? Like, how did you possibly crack into recruiting students and stu- like student marketing? A lot of it, a lot of it is around our um, 
our creative, which I think, um, especially last year, we, we got something like 50,000 applications last year. Like, it was a lot. But um, The design the, of everything is fantastic. Oh, thank well. you. I, no, I think the creative was really cool. But I honestly, I think it's just like dogged relentlessness. Like, the, it's, it's not one thing. It's just a thousand things. Uh, so part, partly it's that. I think um, one of the things that I'm I'm really excited about for our future, near-term future, is um, we're going to go back to our roots. When I originally founded Koru Kids, I wanted it to be a company which was focused on nanny share. And so this, this is an idea that um, you have uh, one nanny taking care of two families' kids at the same time. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a structural innovation which I think is very exciting. It's kind of it's a bit like Airbnb, kind of taking like using extra capacity. Um, and you, it's a it's this incredible win win. The nanny gets paid more. The parents each pay less. The kids get to play together. You know, we get a cut. Like it's it's just this beautiful beautiful product when it works. And we've been um, doing it very low key for the last two three years, just kind of trying out various different things and. One of the things that I really want to do is go back to it. And this um, is wonderful for, um, it's great for everyone, but for the nannies, um, it's great because it means their wages go up. And uh, and that means we, you know, we one, one of the things I'm excited about is the quality of jobs that we're creating for people. So it's cool that we're creating these jobs for students. And, you know, the nanny share job will be like clearly they'll they'll earn more and it will be more fun than, you know, the other things that, that students think about, which is like working in a shoe shop or working in a bar or, you know, minimum wage stuff. It's just going to be so much better than that. Mm. But the other group that we have is these older older adults who are almost always women. Uh, we do take men, but but it, just realistically, it's mostly women who apply. And, um, and, and for this particular group, they're so discriminated against in the workforce. They've often been out of the workforce for 20, 30 years. You know, they um, are not always confident about like tech stuff. And our message to them is, is you are valued. You are so valued. Like this, all, everything that you've been doing for the last 20, 30 years is incredible experience for us. And so with NannyShare, once we get that product really, really, really flying, and we have not yet, I think, hit product market fit on it, um, that then we'll be able to offer these people like such, such great jobs and, and well-paid. So, so many questions, but um, how did you vet, when you, when you hired your first systems, how did you vet them? How did you, how did you... Did you do background checks? I mean, yes. before you had technology. Yeah. yeah, and we, we go way beyond what we have to. So from a legal perspective, yeah, yeah. Um, there's certain things you have to do around like right to work and stuff. We do 10 times more than you have to. And I've always felt that that was just absolutely key. Like yeah. what, what, what it's sometimes called a hygiene level, like you just have to do it. It's not, it's not a feature. It's just like bare minimum, even if it's not legally required. So, for example, we do a criminal background check. Um, we check people's references. Um, we uh, we're pretty savvy about the way we check references now, and you know we um, we require them in a certain way, and this is this is to make them harder to fake and stuff. And um, uh, then we also interview, and then we and then you have to do training, um, and then we also offer um, all of our nannies um, uh, in-person first aid training as well. Like not, not virtually none of that we have to do. We just think it's a good idea. You offer them first aid, in-person first aid training? Yes, 
Yeah, all our nannies, it's actually they're actually contractually required to do it. So do you I mean what's the term and what's the usual it seems like a large investment in your in your in your um, crew. How what's the payback period on that normally? Like how, how many how long is the average retention of a... I think I'm, I, I can only tell you that yeah, if you no, put some I, money in, really, unfortunately. I know, I really, I almost want, I want your inside your management information dashboard. Yeah, yeah well, it's pretty it interesting. Well, it must be worth it. It's worth it, put it that way. That's fantastic. The thing, the thing is, this is, this, this is the thing that distinguishes the new approach, which is that it used to be if, if you don't do that stuff, someone somewhere has to do it. And this this kind of comes back to you're putting it on the mum or the dad, um, but it is in practice almost always the mum. And this this person who you're if you don't do the background checks, then she has to. And this person is the most stressed she's ever been in her life. Like if you think about your life as stages, you know, your childhood, you, your school years, your university years, early life in, in Korea where you're kind of going out all the time and you've got all this disposable income. And then you have kids and you're trying to, you're, you're, at, you're at a difficult part of your career and you've also got kids and you're not sleeping well, you know, and then they get older and then you're yeah. retired. Like, like the, the period of life where you have kids and you're also working is by far the most stressed, overwhelmed, exhausted period of your life. And so to require them to do anything at all, like just that's why it's such a core product principle. Do you do you require references when you hire? Yes. And then do you do you as a team track down those references in court? Yes. Yeah. Them? Yeah. I'm, I always remember references being a big in our family and it's taking a really long time just trying to get a hold of someone yeah and we because we do it at such incredible scale now we have um and we 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 have very good processes and then the other thing um is we're very 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 data um analytical about the way we think about things and we're very test and learn kind of data focused so one of the things i did right from the very start was um I only hired every single person I hired, including customer services people, everyone had to pass a data test. And I actually adapted a McKinsey um, test <laughs> for it. Yeah. And what that meant was that um, what I wanted to do was I wanted to um, I wanted to treat data literacy like literacy, normal literacy. And I wanted to make sure that every single person in the company, no matter what role they were in, um, could look at would look at numbers instinctively look at numbers and do analytics on numbers yeah. so that it meant that we were they were continually improving everything that they were doing and so because of that things like reference checking for example is just like slick super simple uh, I think we're almost out of time I have one last question for you so t- 2016 was the start it's 2019 now when you look into the abyss, what is the main issue keeping you up at night when you think about crochets? The main, my biggest challenge, <coughs> <Start again. coughs> my biggest challenge um, is uh, product build and building out the product part of the organization. So the biggest thing I need to do right now is find 
the world's best product managers, product designers, people who are really enthused about the complexity and the nuance of the task that we're doing. It's very psychological. You know, it's it's um, it has technical elements, but I think the psychological nuances and the design elements are actually even more interesting and important. And I need to hire really freaking amazing people at that uh, and really build us up as a product organization. Very cool. All right, Rachel, thank you so much for your time. This has been fantastic. Yeah, thank you. It's great. As always, I want to say thank you so much to Rachel for taking time out of her incredibly busy schedule to talk with me and share her story on the first 1000. I had so much fun exploring this one. It's really a, a category that I both have no experience of and oddly some weird experience of from just my own personal family running through that. What I loved about this story is how two things. One, there really wasn't a product in the beginning. You know, Rachel uh, almost has a has a consulting background. She really is almost a you know business founder, and so she just did what needed to be done to get it off the ground without building product, without building technology. And the second part is that story around. Uh, the positioning and how the product was essentially the same, but really it's ha- it's not just a product. It's how does that product fit in someone's life? And, and by just changing the positioning around, it, it fundamentally changed whether that business was going to exist or not. And I, I thought that was a fascinating story, unplanned. I had no idea that was coming. So I hope you enjoyed that too. Remember, share, subscribe, five-star reviews on your podcasting app and intros to other entrepreneurs or suggestions for other companies you want me to get on the first 1000 thanks everybody